for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you've enjoyed this sermon from our Advent series, Let Heaven and Nature Sing. For more information about CBC or how you can get plugged into a community group, visit our website at www.cbcsavannah.com. a great time of the year. Obviously, for many of us, we got a ton going on, and there's just lots of things about Christmas that I love, the Christmas season, whether it's school's out or love good food, great food at Christmas. You can eat all you want, and you can just blame it on Christmas. Uh, That's very nice. Friends, family, get to wear my flannels. That's great. I love a good flannel. Uh, Christmas movies. Uh, you know, there's always great movies that come out at Christmas. Christmas Day, open some presents, go see some American Sniper, and then top it off with Unbroken. That's a Christmas miracle right there. Um, but there's also just great Christmas movies, isn't there, that, that come out this time of year that you can only watch them this time of year. You can't watch them in February. They don't work. They're just great Christmas movies. I'm going to give you the top five of all time, and I'm not really asking for your opinion, just so you know. I'm just, all right, just, uh, I have the clicker, which means I'm in charge, all right? (laughs) So these are the top five. There is no dispute about that. Number five best Christmas movie ever, all right, is Will Ferrell in tights, uh, James Caan, Sonny Corleone, right? Great flick. If you don't like it, you're a cotton-headed ninny-moggin, all right? Number four of all time, classic. Some of you young folks need to see this one. You haven't seen it, I know, okay? This is called White Christmas. That's not Santa's Helpers. Uh, That is Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye. Great musical, great songs. You're dreaming of a white Christmas because of them, and you're not going to get it in Savannah, all right? Number three of all time celebrates the greatest gift any young man could ever receive at Christmas, a Red Rider BB gun, all right? You'll shoot your eye out. That's the part of it. Um, All right, everyone loves this movie. TNT will be showing it for like 48 hours straight. So if you missed the first part, you can come back and and you can get it right afterwards. Um, Number two, again, classic. You can't watch it before Thanksgiving. It's against the law. You'll be ticketed in Savannah. Uh, It's a Wonderful Life. I mean, great film, right? You got to watch it at least between now and Christmas. Um, Clarence gets his wings. Everyone knows that George has a great life because he has friends. I mean, come on. You cry every time you see that movie, right? And before we get to number one, just let me give you some honorable mentions because some of you can complain because everyone has so far. All right. So some honorable mentions before we get to number one. Miracle on 34th Street, great film. All right. Not the 90s version with the guy from Jurassic Park. I mean, the original one. Okay. Not the remake. Anything remake is bad, just in case you were wondering. Red Dawn, bad, right? The Miracle on 34th Street, bad. Uh, Home Alone, great movie. Number one, not number seven or whatever. They've made, they've made a bunch of sequels. Number one was good. Number two through whatever was repetitive, okay? Uh, but great Christmas film. Maybe one that should have been on the list. It was just barely off. Die Hard is a great Christmas film, <laughs> all right? I mean, come on, Bruce Willis, Christmas Eve party. It's a great Christmas film. 
The Griswolds, this just shows the depravity of our church. I didn't have it on the list on purpose because I know what's in that movie. I saw it when I was a pagan. And I got all these people, including some of the elders, you left off this one. I'm like, yeah, you can't watch that one anymore. You're a Christian now, all right? Okay, yeah, you know, I mean, you got to watch it on like TBS when they bleep every other word, all right? So that didn't make the list. But the number one Christmas song, Christmas movie of all time is, and I don't even need a slide for it. I'm just going to bring this up and you'll know. Charlie Brown Christmas. If you debate that, then you are not a Christian. <laughs> All right? I mean, what, what a great film. There's more great one-liners in that 20-minute that movie. I'm telling you, it's unbelievable. And probably the classic of classics, at the end, after Charlie has wrestled with the consumerism and everything else about Christmas, he just is so frustrated and he cries out, isn't there anybody that can tell me what Christmas is all about? And then Linus, of course, the shepherd with his, with his nice blanket says, sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And he explains the Christmas story. But it's a great question for us to ask, isn't it? What is Christmas all about? That's what we're going to talk about today as we continue on our series. And here's where we're going, all right? We're going to explain it. We're going to explain it through one of our songs that we've been looking at. We're doing a, just kind of a Christmas series, something new for us. We're looking at some of the Christmas songs we sing. We're talking about what they mean so that they mean something when we sing them. And so we're going to use a Christmas carol that is used in, even in the top two movies on the list. And we're going to explain what Christmas is all about. And then we're going to remember, and then we're going to sing. All right, and, and you probably have already guessed it if you know anything about those movies and the end of those movies. The, the Christmas carol we're going to look at today is Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. Hark the Herald. Right? Yeah. Uh -huh. Good. I'm glad someone's excited today. All right. It's not mad about the Griswolds not on the list. Let's do a little background on the song because it's kind of a funny story how this song came about, and then we'll talk about what the song talks about. What is Christmas all about? The song was written by a man named Charles, a.k.a. Chuck Wesley. All right? And if you anything know about Mr. Chuck, okay, he was one of the founders of Methodism, him and his brother John. He was the 18th of 19 kids, okay? Um, many of his brothers and sisters didn't make it to adulthood. They died uh, in infancy uh, and as kids. But he was a very super religious dude, Really religious guy. Wasn't a Christian, but he was super religious, trying real hard to be a good person. He took a job working for Mr. Oglethorpe, all right, in Georgia. Actually, he came to Savannah. He was going to be the Secretary of Indians. His goal was to convert the Indians. He thought, I'm going to come convert all the Indians. Problem was, he wasn't converted himself. So he came, he failed miserably, and he goes back to England less than a year later, still not a Christian. He comes across a group of guys called the Moravians, and they eventually, because of their testimony, their assurance of salvation, he comes to faith in Christ in 1738. Real saving faith. Stop trying to be a good person and let God save me where I'm at. And he comes to faith. A year later, he's thinking about Christmas, and he writes one of his 6,500 hymns that he wrote. He wrote 6,500 songs in his life. If you're writing for 40 years, you got to write three and a half songs a week to write that many songs, all right? So this guy knows a, knows a little bit about songwriting. If you do it in less, if you do it in 20 years, you're about a song a day, 
okay? If anyone's ever written a song with like multiple verses, that's not easy, okay? Unbelievable dude, right? But one Christmas day in, in 1739, he's thinking about Christmas and he writes a, a hymn and he just calls it a hymn for Christmas day. Very original, I know. It's creative, right? Didn't say he was creative. He just said he wrote a lot of hymns. Um, and it was a real stinker. No one liked it. All right? It, was, it didn't catch on because the opening line said, Hark, how all the welkin rings. Glory to the king of kings. And no one knew what a welkin was. All right? Even Shakespeare, who used it like 18 times, didn't know what a welkin was. It's the realm of heavens. So Wesley had a buddy in ministry, but they, they were kind of theological rivals, but they were both Christians, so they love each other as Christians, but they didn't like each other's ministries, named George Whitfield. Okay, now Wesley was an Arminian, which means he believes in free will and all these things, right? Where, where uh, Whitfield was a Calvinist, and he was predestination and all these things, right? And so they didn't like each other a ton when it came to theology. Loved each other, loved Jesus, but didn't like their theology. Well, Whitfield said to his buddy Charles, hey, Chuck, no one knows what a welkin is. So I'm going to change your song. Even though I'm not going to let you know I'm doing it, I'm going to sing it anyway, right? So what Whitfield does, he said, no one likes this song. I'm going to change it. I'm going to change it to say something else. I don't like Welkin. No one knows Welkin. So he changes it to Hark, the herald angels sing. Now, Wesley doesn't like it because he says it's not biblical because angels don't sing. It doesn't say angels sang. It says they said, right? which is true. It doesn't say they actually sang. It does say they said. It doesn't say they didn't sing. It just doesn't say they did. But Whitfield didn't care. He said, I don't care, Chuck. I'm going to sing it. I'm going to sing it at my meetings and la-ti-da, all right? All right? So he goes on singing it. And to make matters worse, he changes the tune. Where Wesley wanted it to be sung very somber and solemn, he actually wrote it to the tune of Amazing Grace, right? So it was originally, hark how all the welkin rings. Real exciting, right? All right? And so what Whitfield did is he said, that's, that's too down. We need it up. So he took one of Wesley's other songs, Christ the Lord is Risen Today, Christ the Lord is Risen Today, and he put it to that. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. And that's the way it was sung. And people still didn't really dig it, but it was better than it was originally. Both of those men die. They go home to be with Jesus. A hundred years later, there's a Jewish-German composer who was a Christian named Felix Mendelssohn. He, was, he wrote a, cant, a cantata that was specifically for the 400-year anniversary of the Gutenberg Press. All right, Gutenberg Press, we have books now because of this thing. It was a huge deal. It's the 400-year anniversary. They charge him, write a cantata in celebration. He writes it, but he warns, this is, not, this is not supposed to be Christian. This is a secular tune. It's meant for a secular purpose. It's not good enough for the church, right? Which means if he was writing it today, it would be on like 105.3. The river, it would not be on 91.9. It was a secular song for a secular purpose. Well, old Felix died in 1847. And another guy named Dr. William Cummings in 1956 said, well, they're all gone and I don't care. So I'm going to take the poem that was changed by Whitfield, put it to the song of Mendelssohn who said it shouldn't go to this music. And thus we have the tune you know as Hark the Herald Angels Sing. All right? So... Your tradition, this is just a reminder that your tradition is not as traditional as you may think it is sometimes, all right? It's not always what you think. And this is a good reminder for me, because on the way in this morning, I heard the worst version of Hark the Herald Angels Sing I've ever heard in my life. I, I, I like the band Seabird, but they messed this one up. 
It's like, I'm like, that's depressing. I don't want to sing that. But I'm reminded, okay, it's not about me. It's my tradition. It's better than theirs, but I don't have to. Okay. All right, but let's talk about what the song is actually about, because that's what we want to talk about. What is the song about? Because what the song is about is what Christmas is all about. Let's look at the verse. It starts off, hark, which just means listen. Listen up, hear. Hear what the herald, the angels are saying. And it's an allusion to Luke chapter 2, when the angels show up and they start saying something. Let's look, look real quick what they say. Jesus is born in Luke chapter 2. The shepherds are in the field, verse 8, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with fear. And the angel, and don't think choir guy when you think angel. Don't think long blonde hair. Don't think Fabio in a white, in a white robe, okay? That's not the idea here. You're talking about an angelic warrior. Uh, this is a warrior from the presence of God Almighty who shows up in the middle of the night and scares the pants off of the shepherds and says, fear not, ha, 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 I bring you, because he knows they're terrified. But he says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And then, as if to make matters worse, it's not just one, and suddenly there was with the one a multitude of the heavenly. Don't, when you read host, you think, I know, you think choir. Think army. The word there is a Greek word for army. It's a multitude of angels. An angelic army shows up, flaming armor, swords, the glory of God, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. That's what the angel is saying. That's what Wesley's saying. Listen to what the angel's saying. Glory to the king. Peace on earth. But if you, here's the thing. You read this story. You read Matthew chapter 1 and 2. You read Luke 1, the beginning. You read after. There's not a lot of peace. There's just not a lot of real peace. Not the way we would think about it. They're under the slavery of Rome. They're slaves. That's why they're going to Bethlehem to pay taxes to Rome, their captor. So they're slaves you got a teenage girl who no one believes her story, and, and her husband didn't even believe until the angel shows up. So what do you think her parents think? What do you think all her, her reputation is trashed? It still was 30 years later because they're mocking Jesus for his mom. Not a lot of peace there. She's nine and a half months pregnant, going uphill to Bethlehem, and we assume she's riding a donkey, but the text never says she had a donkey. She could have been walking, y'all. How you like that for Adam? That's a great honeymoon. Let's walk, nine and a half month pregnant lady, up to Bethlehem. And then when we get there, the little town of Bethlehem, that's usually about between, historically had about 300 to 500 people living there, small little village, maybe one in at the most. It looks like Bass Pro the day before Christmas. It's just chaos. And there's no room for them in the inn, not because the Holiday Inn Express manager is mean and doesn't love Jesus. It's just because there's thousands of people in a town that was made for 300. And so they got to give birth either outside or in a cave or in some stable that smells like manure and lay God on some hay. Not a lot of peace there. And then a year later, they have a dream that they got to get out of Dodge because the king wants to kill all the babies in Bethlehem. And he does. And they get out by the skin of their teeth. Not a lot of peace there. 
And now you just go down the line, there's just not a lot of peace. So why do the angels say, peace on earth? Why does the song say, peace on earth? He goes on to tell you, peace on earth and mercy mild, what? God and sinners reconciled. The peace is not between men and men. The peace is between God and man because your and my sin has made a separation between God and us, one that we could not, we could not overcome. I mean, men, you get this. You've done something in your life to your spouse, to your parents, to your friends that has caused enmity, right? I mean, you've done something dumb. All the men can admit that. Probably in the, waiting in the car in the minivan this morning, you said something. Um, you, you've caused strife in your relationship by doing something, by saying something, by not doing something, by not saying something. Whatever it is, you have brought strife. And what do you have to do to reconcile? You have to go to that person and say, honey, I'm sorry. That's how it's reconciled. But here's the problem. Our sin had made a separation, but we could do nothing to reconcile. There was nothing we could do to get to God. And so what does God do? He shows us mercy mild, and he comes to us instead because we could not get to him. God and sinners reconciled. And that's why the angel says, that's why the song says, joyful all you nations. It's an allusion to verse 10 where he says, I bring you good news of great joy. That's for who? All people, not just Israel. Israel, Rome, Sicily, American Indians, Africans, Europeans, for all the people. And so Wesley says, join the triumph of the skies. All the nations get up. Join the angels in proclaiming that Christ is born. It's an invitation to yourself, hark, to sing, to worship. It's come on, everybody, come on. Christ is born in Bethlehem. Join with the angels. Join with the heavens. Join with those who, who proclaim the birth. And I'm asking the question as I'm studying this and thinking about it and studying the text and just asking these questions. And here's one that came to my mind. Why are the angels so pumped? I mean, they're not getting saved. They're already in heaven. They don't need a savior. There's not one time they've ever rebelled. There's not one time even in their mind they thought, you know what? I think the father's wrong on this one. Let's go over here. Never once. So why are they so excited? There's not one time that they've ever experienced what it means to be made in the image of God. There's not one time they've ever experienced being the objects of God's love. There's not one time they've ever experienced the spirit of Christ in them. In fact, they long to understand this kind of deal because they can't fathom disobeying the God they serve. So why are they so excited? Why isn't it like, yeah, get up there to Bethlehem, y'all. Go. Praise the Lord. I don't have an answer from the text, but here's the best thing I got. They delight in what God delights in. If God delights to save, and if God delights to make peace, and if God delights to make those who were his enemies, those who were the bad guys, those who were the Dallas Cowboys, his sons and daughters, if he delights to do that, then the angels delight in it too because they're going to delight in whatever he delights in. And if one sinner repents and heaven rejoices, they're going to rejoice. And that's why they're saying, Christ, Messiah, is born for you. And it blows their mind. 
that this God would come to you blows our mind. And what we celebrate, what we celebrate in the first verse and what we celebrate at Christmas and what Christmas is all about is that we have peace with God. That's what Christmas is about, Charlie Brown. You have peace. with You can know God, that you are no longer his enemy. You are no longer the object of his wrath, that you are no longer under his hostility, that you are now a child of the king. You are adopted. You can cry out, Abba, Father. That's, that's peace with God. You get to know God. It's, it's, it's our greatest need. There's, hey, look, there's a lot of needs in this body over Christmas. Some of you need a new job. Some of you need a new bill of health. Some of you need your husband to stop being deadbeat. Some of you need your teenagers to start listening to you. Some of you just need physical peace in your house because it's chaos. Some of you need a place to go be on Christmas Day. Some of you need the depression to end. Some of you need the physical pain to be gone. Some of you need a family member to finally repent and see the gospel. There's all sorts of needs. There's all sorts of wants. Right? I get, I get a list every day of new wants from the kids. Here's what I want from Santa. Well, Santa shut down on Friday, by the way. All right? Just so you know. Put this on next year's list. So we got needs and we got wants. But at Christmas, your greatest need was met. It's done. That you would be forgiven of sin. Look, if our greatest need was democracy, Americans, if that was the greatest need for the world, then God would have sent us a politician. If our greatest need was, was information, he would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need was to end world hunger and poverty, he could have sent us a great economist. It was, if it was physical health, he could have sent us a doctor. If it was we needed more ideas and we needed entertainment, he could have sent us an entertainer. He could have sent us a philosopher. If we need more religions or more religious people, he could have sent us a religious leader. But he sent us a savior because we were lost and we were perishing without him. It's your greatest need. Met in Christ. Peace because of the newborn king. That's what we worship. That's what we're celebrating. That's verse one. But then there's verse two, and this is my favorite of the three. It's my favorite. I was going to have Ethan sing it twice, but I don't want to be about me. I've already got my five movies, so. But verse two, Christ by highest heaven adored. Think about that line. Have you ever been in a place where you were the center of attention? Maybe it was your wedding day, some of you, where you, ladies, you walked down the aisle and everyone's, all the eyes were on you, all the presents for you, all the food was you, all the music was chosen by you, and it, it, it's just about you. Maybe you went to your grandparents' retirement party or the 50-year anniversary or it was your senior art show or you were the athlete to hit the home run, hit the big shot, or you, know, you're, you played in the musical and you had the part. Whatever it was, it, it was all about you, and everyone was like, oh, you're great, oh, you're awesome, wasn't that great, oh, oh. That's heaven for Jesus, for all eternity. I, he is adored. There's not one person that's like, well, when the poll comes out, I'm voting against Jesus. It's 100% in favor. He is adored by the angels. He is lavished with love by the Father. All heaven adores him, the everlasting Lord. But yet he came. He left it. 
It says, late in time. This is a great line. It doesn't make sense if you, unless you understand what he's saying. What does it mean, late in time, behold him come? The idea is this. It seemed like it took forever. How long was it before the promise of Messiah in Genesis 3 and Jesus' actual coming at Bethlehem? It was 4,000 years. Late in time. How long was it between the promise to Abraham that, that in you, Abraham, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed till the coming of Messiah? 2,000 years. That's a long time, late in time. How long was it that Israel was enslaved to Greece and Rome and Babylon and, and uh, Medio Persia and the Romans? 700 BC, they were taken captive, still at Matthew 1, captive. 700 years longing for deliverer, longing for Messiah, late in time. The last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, it was shut at 400 BC. There's 400 years where God just be, is quiet from heaven. He doesn't send any prophets. He doesn't write any new books. He's just quiet. No visions, no dreams, nothing from heaven late in time. But as Paul tells us, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman. When it was just the right time, when God's time, late in time, but God's time, he came. And, and look, some of us right now, you're, you're the same way. Late in time is your life. I'm, you're waiting. You're thinking, when, God? When are you going to answer? When are you going to move? When, you, when are we going to know? When are we going to direct? When are you, late in time. That's the tension of the song. Late in time. But, but what was he when he came? He was veiled. Even when he showed up late in time, no one knew it. Why? Because he was veiled in flesh. The idea is he's hidden. You can't see him. He just looks like your average baby. You look down, you're like, this is a normal looking baby. Kind of cute, but kind of ugly too. Right? That, no. That's the Godhead, see? No, I can't see. He looks like a normal baby. He's crying. It's a normal six-year-old Jewish boy running in the streets. It's a normal 13-year-old Jewish kid working in his father's shop as an apprentice. It's a normal 30-year-old looking guy in, his, in a carpenter shop making a table. No, 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 it's not. It's the Godhead. See? Hail him. He's the incarnate deity. He's God in a body. But he doesn't look like it. That's because you're, it's veiled. That's the point. You can't tell because he looks like everyone else. But that is deity. And that's what we're in incarnation. Fancy theological word. We throw it out and some of you are like, I don't know what that means, incarnation. It's real simple. It means God as a man. God in a body. And he had to become man. Why? If you're going to be a savior of men, you got to be a man. But if you're going to save all man, you got to be God. So he is the God man. 100% God, 100% man. 200% bad math, good theology, right? Good theology. Hail him. And here's the best line in the verse. Pleased as man with men to dwell. That's a great poetic line. He was pleased. What that means is this. It wasn't forced. It wasn't, fine, dad, I'll go down there, but you owe me one. It wasn't that. It was, it was he delights. It was what the angels said. Among with whom he is pleased. Pleased as man 
with men to dwell, pleased to come. And you got to ask, why? Why would you want to leave the place where you're honored and glorified and it's all about you at all time and you deserve it? Why would you want to leave that and veil yourself as a, as a little baby? Why? There's only one reason. And this is the second reason we celebrate Christmas and what we celebrate is it, it's the love of God. It's God's love for you. God's love for me. Again, we can go, I can go verse after verse after verse. John 3, 16, God so loved you, the world, that he gave his son. Ephesians 2, God rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, he saved us is what it says next. Titus 3, when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. It's his love that drove us to us, him to us. And he said, how much does God love us? Here's how much. He was pleased to dwell, and he knew what he was getting into. He wasn't taking, oh, man, I didn't know I was coming as a carpenter. I thought I was coming as a king. Oh, man, I messed that one up. He knew that his stepdad wanted to divorce his mom until he sent an angel. He knew his brothers and sisters were going to think he was wacko. He knew... His best friend who he invested for three years and loved him and he, and he hung out with him and he laughed with him. He knew that guy. He knew that he was going to deny him. He knew that Satan himself was going to attack him, that Satan himself was going to tempt him. He knew that one of the guys he chose to be with him would betray him for 30 pieces of silver. He knew that a wicked king would try to kill him when he was a baby. He knew that there would be times when he was tired, when he was hungry, when he had no place to sleep, that when he was cold. He knew that the people he came to save, the people that he loved, he knew that they would take him and that they would nail him to a piece of wood which he created. He knew that his father would turn his back on him for the first time in all eternity and pour out his holy, righteous wrath on him as a substitute for our sins. He knew it, and he was pleased as man with men to dwell because he loved us. And so if you're like me sometimes and you feel like, I don't feel like God loves me because look what I've done this week. I don't feel like God loves me because look what's going on in my life. And if God loved me, would he let this happen and this happen and this happen? And really, would that person be, if God loved me? You know, that's why we hark. That's why we come and we listen to what the angel says. That's why we remind ourselves, look, there's going to be patches where you're, man, it's rough. But God's love was demonstrated in that Christ died for the ungodly. And that's where we go. We remember and celebrate God's love. We celebrate his peace. And there's one more thing, verse three. We've gone from harking and now we're hailing, right? Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the sun, S-U-N. Sometimes we misspell this a little bit, but it is S-U-N because it's an allusion to Malachi where it says, you who fear the name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And it's talking about the messianic kingdom. And when, when Christ comes back, there'll be healing, there'll be light, there'll be life. Because by his wounds, we are healed. And so that's what Wesley is referring to. But then he, he makes these great statements. He says, mild he lays his glory by. 
It's an allusion to Philippians 2, that he empties himself. He takes the form of a servant. He's made in the likeness of man. He becomes Mary's son and Joseph's stepson. He becomes a carpenter. He becomes the brother of Joseph and Judah and James. He becomes a friend of sinners and tax collectors and fishermen. Mild he lay his glory aside. Where he is glorified, he is worshipped, he is adored, he lays it aside to become a carpenter. And then the key three lines of the entire song, kind of the climax of the song. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. He was a man, the God-man, who came with one purpose and one purpose only. He was born to die. He was born to die. And, and search the Old Testament. Search the Gospels. The very first prophecy that the seed of a woman would crush the head of the serpent, but yet the serpent would bruise his heel. Death, Satan has been crushed, but in the crushing, they bruised his heel. Where? At the cross. That's the first prophecy of, of Messiah, Genesis 3. He was coming to die. Isaiah 53. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was wounded for our transgressions. Throughout the Old Testament, even in the Gospels, it was clear that he came to die and he, there was nothing that was going to deter him. Not even his best friend. He says, no, 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 you're not going to Jerusalem. You're not going to Jerusalem to die. Get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking about God because I came to die. He was born to die so that we wouldn't have to. That's, that's, and it's all over the Christmas story, y'all. It's not maybe in neon lights, but there's, it's, it's there. You see it in the gifts of the Magi, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Those are really weird gifts, especially for a one-year-old. If you got a one-year-old, do you know what they like? They like the box. You buy in this great thing, the thing comes out, and they play with the box, and it's great. So if you're looking for a one-year-old present, get them a box great. Why do you bring gold and frankincense and myrrh to a one-year-old as gifts? Why do you come across the desert to do it? Because he's a king and kings get gold. Frankincense is a perfume used in the temple for worship. Why do you give that? Because he is the sweetness of deity amongst the stench of humanity. Why do you give him myrrh? You know what myrrh is used for? Dead bodies. You put myrrh on a dead body to keep it from smelling bad. Why do you give that to a one-year-old? Do you know what a one-year-old would do with myrrh in my house? You give it to him because he's going to die. And it, it foreshadows what he came to do, to be put in a grave and then come out. It's seen in his name. What does Jesus mean? It's, Jesus is not just some like, oh, that was a great name, great, very creative. It, it was a common name for your average Jewish boy. You know why? It's the name Joshua. You ever heard of Joshua? There's no Joshua's in the Old Testament, is there? It's got a whole book. He's like the, one of the biggest wigs in the old, whole Old Testament. So why do you give your, your, your son who is God just a common Joshua? You know why? Because his name means Yahweh saves. In fact, when Gabriel shows up to, Matthew, to, to, uh, to good old Joseph, he says, you're going to call him Jesus, 
for he will save their, his people from their sins. His name foreshadows what he's going to do. How's he going to save them from their sins? He's going to die. Right? He's going to die. You got this guy, eight days after Jesus is born, they take Jesus to Jerusalem because they got to offer a sacrifice. They have to have him circumcised. There's a guy named Cornelius there. God promised him, you're going to see Messiah before you die. You will see the Lord's Messiah before you die. So he just hangs out at the temple all day long waiting. And one day there comes Mary. How he knows, who knows? But he snatches that baby up. Boop, she doesn't even know what happened. And he says, Lord, you're letting your servant now depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And here's what he looks at Mary and says. He doesn't look at Joseph. He looks at Mary. And he looks to Mary and says, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. What's he talking about, a sword? He's talking about 33 years later, Mary is going to stand up and look at a Roman cross with her firstborn nailed to it. Joseph's not there. Mary is sword, piercing her soul for this one who brings rising and falling, who is opposed but is the king. And even, even in this, the shepherds, we talk about the shepherds and you know, shepherds out by Bethlehem. Jewish history, do you know what Jewish history teaches that those shepherds, the shepherds that are specifically outside Bethlehem were doing? They were the shepherds guarding the Passover lambs. The lambs outside Bethlehem were the lambs that would be slaughtered at Passover. So the first ones to see the king are the shepherds of the very Passover lambs, and they come to see the true Passover lamb, the lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. It's all pointing to one thing, y'all, that Jesus came to die so that we might live, and he has given us, because of it, hope. And that's the last thing we celebrate. We celebrate our hope that is in God. Born that man and more may die. That you're going to die once, but you don't have to die twice in eternal death because Jesus died for you. Because he took your place. He made peace. He showed his love so that you could have hope. He's given you the greatest gift. I got four kids. They asked for all these things. They're going to get presents on Thursday. Most of them in like three hours are going to be bored. I mean, you know, I got the young one, they got, the, they got Legos, they're going to spend five and a half hours building this Lego thing that will sit on their dresser then for the next six months until Milton knocks it over, breaks it into a thousand pieces, it'll go into the box with the rest of the Legos, the million Legos, until next Christmas, until we get the next one. It's going to happen. But you have been given a gift, eternal life, that does not break. It is the greatest gift it's hope that there's resurrection. I am leaving. I am going to get on a plane in less than two hours. I'm literally not going to be here to sing with you guys the last, which just saddens me. But I got to get on a plane because I'm going to preach my last grandparent's funeral at 11 tomorrow, my grandmother, who died Thursday night. She was a believer, became a believer in the last couple years of her life. And because of Christmas, I have hope that I will see her again. 
if, if, there's no, if Jesus doesn't come to Bethlehem to head to Calvary, there's no hope. If God does not become man to die for man, there is no hope. If God does not die for man and raise again, there is no hope. We have hope because of Christmas. Because God came because of his love to make peace with himself. And that, Charlie Brown, is what Christmas is all about. Peace with God, the love of God, and our hope in God. That's the explanation. Now what we're going to do is we're going to remember, and then we're going to sing. How are we going to remember? Because we're going to do what the church has been doing for 2,000 years. We're going to celebrate the supper that Jesus instituted, that pictures his body and his blood. And when you hold that body, that representation of his body in that cup, just think of three things. Think of peace, love, hope. If you're a Christian this morning, you've put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, we invite you to partake. It doesn't matter if you're a member of this church or not, because this, this is what we celebrate at Christmas. Love of God, peace with God, Hope in God. That's what it is. It's a celebration. And the way we're going to do it, the men will hand out the elements, and you guys just take it when you're ready. After some time of meditation and thought and prayer and repentance, just, just take it. The, the praise team will come up. They're going to lead us. They're going to do a special music. And after we all remember, then you'll have an opportunity to hark, and we will sing. And I don't take a lot of theology from Buddy the Elf, but I'll take this. As we get to hark, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. That's good theology, too. So when you hark, when you join with the triumphant angels, make them jealous. Man, I didn't sing that loud in the night. Hark like you mean it, right? Herald like you mean it. Glory to the newborn king, because you have experienced God's love, you have his peace, and you have hope in Christ. Let me pray, and, and I appreciate, again, that I won't be closing the service, but you knew why. Um, so if you see my car flying down the road, it's not because I don't love y'all, and I do love Hark the Herald. I wish I could sing with you one more time, but um, I will be back for Wednesday. So let me pray, and then we'll celebrate the table. Father, you're good to us. You love us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy towards us. I pray that your church would remember that this would just be a reminder, this song, to celebrate the love of Christ, our hope in Christ, and our peace with you because of Christ. Lord, if someone in this room doesn't know you, open their eyes to the truth that you have come to die for them and that they can have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I pray for our worship, our celebration, and in our week as we go and as we sing Hark and then we go live it out, uh, Lord, that the, that the Christ we believe in would be seen in our lives. And as we gather again on Christmas Eve just to celebrate, Lord, that even one more time to turn our focus to the arrival of the King, it won't be so subtle next time. We thank you that you veiled yourself in flesh so that we might have eternal life through you. It's in Christ's name I pray.